Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. It's hard to be humble, isn't it? Well, Pastor John is going to show us two parables in Luke 18, verses 1 through 17. And we're going to find out it may be harder to be humble than many think. What do you make of these two parables? In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe and uh, follow our channel uh, so you don't miss a thing. God bless you. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 17 this morning. And while you're finding that, I'm going to tell you about a recent visit we had with our grandkids. Uh, Our daughter and son-in-law came down and spent a week with us and then went home and uh, left the kids with us for a week so they could have a little bit of a break together. And uh, we've got an incredible granddaughter, Sammy, if you're listening, we love you, Uh, 13 years old, uh, going on 25 or so, uh, very mature young lady. Uh, And we have an equally incredible grandson, Alistair, uh, Alistair Seven. And uh, as I was going through the sermon this week, um, I kept on thinking about Alistair. Love you too, Alistair. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, he would come to me and, and say things like, Grandpa, can I have some candy? Grandpa, can we play with Legos? And, and there, was a, there, there was this innocence and trust that I was going to answer him. Not necessarily. I don't think he always came to me expecting that, that I was going to do whatever he wanted to do. But that there, was, that there was incredible humility in this young boy in trusting Grandma and Grandpa to take care of him and to to take him where he wants to go and so on and so forth and sometimes maybe even to chastise him a bit. Uh, and, and I, you know, I looked at that and it kept on running through my mind as I'm preparing this sermon and that type of humility doesn't come to us naturally when we reach a certain age. And I wonder why. Matter of fact, humility is very difficult to express and that's our truth for today. The, 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 the idea that uh, the, the, uh, it's hard to be humble. Humility is not always easy. We're calling our sermon, It's Hard to Be Humble. And so just because I know that you'll have an easy time remembering that. Now, last week when we got together, we talked about uh, talking about the kingdom. He's been on a roll since somewhere around chapter 9. And we found out that he's closer than you think. Uh, the, the kingdom is coming. And what we need to understand about the coming kingdom is that it is Jesus. Now watch this. We're in Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the kingdom. Where are we? We're in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom. We don't have to wait for it to come. We don't have to wait for anything to happen to make us realize we're in the kingdom. Now we're not in the perfected kingdom that we will experience when the Lord comes back and we all step into glory, all those who believe in him, all those who have confessed their sins and and confessed him as Lord and Savior. We're not in that perfect kingdom, but we are in the kingdom. And the fact that we're in the kingdom is our deposit on the fact that we will be in the perfected kingdom. We don't have to worry about that. So Jesus is closer than you think. Now, this week we're going to learn that being part of that kingdom... Being a citizen of that kingdom requires persistence and humility. We've been hearing it all morning so far. I don't know how God arranges the schedule on the catechism, but he does some amazing things, doesn't he? 
you know, uh, John's up here catechizing about humility. Here we are talking about a passage about humility. Maybe God wants us to learn something here. So being part of the kingdom requires persistence. It requires a high degree of humility. And we're going to see, we're going to see examples of each of these things in the passage today. We're going to, lesson, uh, we're going to get a lesson on uh, how we can apply them to our daily walk. And that's where you and I need help, at least I know I do. Uh, applying some persistence and humility to my daily walk. So today's sermon is hard to be humble. We got three examples of living in the kingdom. We have the unrighteous judge in Luke 18, 1 through 8. We have the self-righteous Pharisee in Luke 18, uh, 9 through 14. And then we have the righteous children in verses 15 through 17. So let's take a look at this unrighteous judge. These are all, if you read your Bibles, these are all parables, stories that we're familiar with, but in context, they take on a whole different meaning. So the unrighteous judge. Jesus is talking to his disciples. The, the audience changes as we go through the passage. We want to be aware of that. And he just told them to stay the course. He just told them to, to be faithful, to be committed, uh, that trials may come. And, and that there may be hardship along the line. So he's, he's told them to, to stay the course while others are rejecting him and while false teachers are trying to lead them astray. So, you know, they have to know their Bibles. They have to know who Christ is. They have to be able to recognize a false leader when they see it. And, you know, we can't just rely on other people to say this guy's a false prophet, there's a false teacher. We have to know these things for ourselves. So he's done, that, he's done that recommendation, he's done that encouragement, and now he wants to encourage them to be persistent. So he tells them this story, starting in verse 1. And he told them, the disciples, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Now, if you remember nothing about this parable, remember this verse right here. Because this is what we would call a statement of purpose. This is why this parable is here. And a lot of people have taught through this parable that Jesus is teaching to just keep praying for whatever you want. And if you keep praying long enough, you'll badger God into giving it to you because that's kind of how the parable sounds. But Jesus says the story is here to tell us to continue praying and to not lose heart. It's in the context of what he's just said to his disciples, that there may be trials, there may be hardships, there may be people trying to pull you off course. Continue to pray. Pray without losing hope. Not necessarily to pray for everything that we want, but to keep trusting him. In particular, when the world turns against us. In particular, when people are trying to lead us away. In particular, when we are struggling. I don't know if any of you ever struggle with the people around you, but I do. You ever have a hard time with folks? Decisions they make, things they say? Sure, sure. Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. Keep praying. He said in verse 2, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. I want you to understand, when Jesus does parables, they are object lessons. So he doesn't say in Babylon or in Bethlehem because he doesn't want you worrying about the city. So there may have been a man, there may not have been a man, but Jesus is going to tell us a story about a man so that he can teach us something. So there's a judge 
uh, and, and so the judge is neither holy, uh, he's not righteous, and, and we need to keep these things in mind because we have a tendency to look at this parable and assign the judge the role of God. That's not what's going on here. He's not an example of a good judge. We should not see him as God in this parable, and Jesus will make that, will make that clear. He's an independent man, and he's got enough power. I mean, judges were extremely powerful. They had a lot of authority. He's got enough power to elevate himself above the crowd, but not enough compassion to care about the crowd. He's got the authority. He's got the power. He doesn't really care about the people that he has authority over. He's definitely not God. Jesus wants us to know that. Verse 3 says, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, here's our second character. It's a widow. She's helpless. Widows had almost no rights. They had no way of supporting themselves. They had a tendency to lose everything. We don't know what her problem is because the problem is not the object of the story. She's got a problem. It's probably financial. probably has something to do with her support. And she is being victimized by another person. And look what she asked for. She doesn't ask for some blessing to fall down upon her. To just, to, to, you know, John mentioned winning the lottery. She didn't say, Lord, give me a winning lottery ticket so I don't have to worry about this anymore. She didn't ask for, for a blessing out of nowhere. She doesn't ask for the judge to punish the person who's victimizing her. Smite them. You know how much I love that word. She wants justice. She wants justice. She wants the judge to defend her. She wants the judge to do what he's supposed to do, administer the law and protect her, preserve her, to vindicate her. And she goes to him repeatedly. And all the verbs in here means that it is relentless. Every morning she's standing on the, on the steps. Judge. And you know, we watch his judge go, oh, are you here again? But she knows what justice is. And she's asking him to do what he's supposed to do. To administrate justice. Verse 4 says, For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Now here's the self-definition of this man. Neither fears God nor respects man. We see it twice in here. Just to emphasize it. The judge is proud of his independence. And what he's lacking is in what we've been talking about all morning. What he's lacking, he's lacking in humility. And maybe, maybe there's just a hint in this story that Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to listen a bit closer. Maybe, maybe they'll see themselves here. Verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So he gives justice to the woman. He does what he's supposed to do, not because he has compassion, not out of his responsibility, but because he wants her to go away. If I do this, will you stop bothering me? If I do this, can I have one morning where I can enjoy my coffee when you're not here trying to badger me about this thing? He wants her to just stop bothering him. Verse 6, the Lord said, 
Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And what he's saying is, go back and listen to this again. Understand what's going on here. And he intends to bring a contrast. And that appears in verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect? You know, his elect are, we can get a long debate about, about what elect is and what isn't. But, but what Luke wants us to know, what Jesus wants us to know, is his elect are his followers. His disciples. We can argue about how we all get there when we get there in glory. We don't have to do that now. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So we see that the the unrighteous judge cannot be compared to the living, compassionate, and loving God. And the message is God will vindicate you if you are a follower of him, if you're a part of the family of God, if you're a true member of the true church, God will vindicate you and it will happen soon. And I know what we're all thinking right now. I wish it would happen right now. How soon is this going to come? When's it going to occur? Because I'm not seeing a lot of vindication and justice around me right now. So it may not seem so soon to us, but watch this. As we look back from the perspective of eternity, the trials we're going through right now are going to be a blip. They're going to be a blip, the wink of an eye. We'll be glad we waited. We'll be glad we were patient. Our waiting might seem like an eternity to us now, but there will come a time when it seems like just a moment, like just a second. So the disciples, us, us who recognize him as Lord and Savior, have to be diligent, we have to stay the course, we have to be patient. Now, Jesus clarifies this. Verse 8, I tell you, he, God, will give justice to them speedily. Then he says this, curious phrase, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What is that? Now, if we break it down enough, we find out it's a challenge to his followers. He's saying, let me give you the the, uh, Kavakis translation on this. He's he's saying, Jesus is saying, can you do this? Can can you be patient? Can you endure? What will I find when I come back? What will I find in you? What will I find in you? It's not not condemnation. It's not, oops, shh. Okay. <laughs> so it's not condemnation. It, 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 it's not, if, if you don't measure up when I get back here, it, it, it's, you're going to be kicked out of heaven. All it is is watch your step. Watch your path. Follow it closely. Be persistent. Be committed. Be diligent. I'm coming back and I'm coming soon. So the unrighteous gives a widow what she wants, and he does it to get rid of her. God, the righteous judge, gives us maybe not what we want, but what we need, not to get rid of us, but to bring us closer to him. His goal is to bring us closer to him. 
He's going to do it in his timing. Meanwhile, we wait patiently and endure whatever we need to endure to gain, to gain what? To gain everything. To gain everything. To be part of the new creation. To be part of the perfected kingdom. To be one with Christ who's one with God. Wow. Let's take a look at this self-righteous Pharisee. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now he's, uh, now he's turned to the Pharisees. These are, we don't have to go too far to see to some who trusted in themselves and treated others with contempt. That's the way he's been describing the Pharisees all along. So, so he, he's making a clear reference to the Pharisees and even mentions them in the parable. Uh, the parable starts with verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you, you, what you have here is you have the two extremes as far as society would see them. The Pharisee is the well-respected religious person. He's a clean liver. He's got uh, great clothes. Uh, he's, he's got influence in the community. He walks through the community and people point at him and go, look, there's a Pharisee. Don't you want to be like him? And then you have the tax collector. He's a collaborator with the Romans. Most of the tax collectors, not all of them, maybe not this one. Most of the, they, they, they took advantage of people. Uh, they were viewed very dimly by the Jews because for all intents and purposes it looks like they had turned on their people. Their job was to collect taxes and their motivation was to collect as much tax as they could, sometimes more than they were paying Rome. So you have the Pharisee who's well respected, you have the tax collector that nobody has any regard for. And verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself, now they're in the temple, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you could just hear the bitterness dripping from him. And so you, we need to note the attitude of the Pharisee. He's feeling superior, feeling better, feeling like, oh God, you and I know this guy's really not worth anything. But just, just in case God's not getting the point, he does this. He, said, he tells God why he's such a great guy. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, have you ever felt like you had to remind God of the details? You ever felt like... Uh, 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 I, I don't know if I prayed that right. God, do this because this and this and this and this is going on. And so we, we kind of fill God in so he can make a wise decision in our favor. That's what the Pharisee's doing. Reminding God of all the great things that he does. This man is filled with pride. It, he's the antithesis of humility. It's just not there. So the Pharisees, arrogant, the tax collector, he's just standing over there. He's come to the temple, doing what he's supposed to do. Let's take a look at him, verse 13. But the tax collector, 
standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The task letter is as humble as he can possibly be. He doesn't even feel worthy of looking up to where God is. Admits that he's a sinner. And this guy is going through anguish because of his sin. He beats his breast. Be merciful to me, God. And then Jesus says this about the tax collector in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He's justified. He's reconciled. To who? He's been praying to God the Father. He's reconciled to God. So, the self-righteous Pharisee, the well-respected, clean-living, does-everything-right-all-the-time guy is not justified to God. He's not reconciled to his Father in heaven. He looks good, he sounds good, but he is not reconciled to God. So if that guy can't be reconciled to God, influential in the church influential in the temple, successful in the community. If he can't be reconciled, well, who can? I'll tell you who can. The dirty, crooked sinner. The one who recognizes his sin, confesses it, and demonstrates humility. Humility. See, I, I, I think the first he had too much to, to lose to become humble. I, I, and you know the thought process. What would people think if I humbled myself? How would they see me? Would, would I lose my power? Would I lose my status? And what he's really saying is if I humble myself, will I lose my self-esteem? We live in an age of increasing self-esteem. It's what the Pharisees struggled with. Oh, you need to identify yourself. You need to know who you are. You need to find yourself. You need to think better of yourself than you think you are. Some of us are very successful at that. See, to be humble, you have to be willing to lose face. Even if you're right... I mean, isn't that, don't we sometimes insist on holding on to our right to be right and make sure that people around us know that we're right? There's no humility in that. Humility comes when we're willing to be humble even though we're right. Wow. There's a life changer. self-righteous Pharisee thought way too much of himself. He thought way too much of himself to humble himself. And because of that, because of that, because he was refusing to humble himself, he was missing the kingdom of God. I mean, all these parables that Jesus has been telling and all these examples are about the Pharisees thinking they're in the kingdom, and they're not. A citizen of the kingdom has to be willing to be humble. How humble? Let's take a look at these righteous children. Verse 15. 
And now they were bringing even infants to him. Now here's another contrast. Jesus compared the judge to the widow, the Pharisee to the collector, and now he infers a comparison between the unrighteous judge, the self-righteous Pharisee, and these babies. Now, and Jesus says that they were bringing even babies. Now, on one level, we can see something that's very apparent there. It just sits right there on the surface. It means a lot of folks were coming to him, even babies. But there's another level here that we need to consider. And what we see Jesus saying is Jesus wants to contrast the judge and the Pharisees against the babies. It's almost as if he's saying, even babies should get what I'm about to tell you. Even people that are new in the faith, even people that we think are too young to understand, should understand what I'm trying to teach you in in these parables. And the word he uses for baby is brefos. And it means, we need to keep that in mind, he's bringing infants to him. Well, why are they bringing infants to him? Well, because he might touch them. Oh, we love that picture. Babies just touch the baby. But there's a lot more to this. It's not just babies come to Jesus to touch him. Don't miss what's happening. We just heard about two men who trusted only in themselves and lacked humility. And now we hear about babies who come to Jesus for nothing more than to be touched by him. Nothing more than to be close to him. No expectations. No preconceptions. Certainly no pride. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, the disciples aren't being mean here. And we, we need to be careful about this one as well. They're not being, they're not, no babies don't belong around here. They're trying to protect Jesus. They know that he's been doing a lot. They know he's going through a lot. He's saying all this weird stuff about going to Jerusalem and dying. So they want to protect him. Do we ever do that? Do we ever think that we need to protect Jesus? Do you ever think that we need to protect God? Do you ever believe that we need to protect the church? Oh no, we don't do that. We know God can take care of these things, really. Do we sometimes feel like we need to defend God? Take a look at your Facebook feed when you go home and see the people that are trying to defend God. Does God need to be defended? I mean, we we, we do all these things, and and you know what? They're they're good causes. They're not bad. But we say things like, we got to get prayer back into schools ever since they've kicked prayer out of church. They kicked God out of the schools. Do you believe for one minute that if God wants to be in schools, anybody can keep him out? You see, we, we keep allowing these things that the world tells us are important to interfere with what God wants us to do. And we say, oh no, we got to do this. we got to make sure that God's in the Constitution. I don't disagree with that, but it's not why the church is here. We're protecting God and God's, I, I'm sure that God's sitting on the throne going, well, that's amusing. What part of me needs to be protected? And I think he would say to us, oh, you want to protect me? Where were you when I put the mountains in place? Where were you when I hung the stars from the sky? 
Are, were, were you protecting me when I made the Leviathan? So the disciples are doing what comes natural. They don't want to see Jesus have this hardship. So they're move, removing the kids. They're also making decisions for him. <laughs> this is a good one. Have we ever tried to make decisions for the people around us? Have we ever tried to convince them that they should do what we think they should do? <laughs> they didn't go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what do you want us to do with these babies? They made the decision for Jesus that he didn't want the babies. So these are things that flow from us naturally, aren't they? We don't have bad hearts when we're trying to protect somebody. We don't have bad hearts when we're trying to protect God. We don't have bad hearts when we're trying to help somebody do something that we think they ought to do and they think they don't want to do. Their intentions are pure. But you see, in order to do that, they have to assume that, number one, God isn't quite as informed as he needs to be. And number two, that he's unable to decide for himself. So we find ourselves in a situation when we start making decisions for other people, we start making decisions for God, start protecting them when he hasn't asked us to protect them, that we place ourselves above them. That's what the disciples are doing. This is hard stuff. And oddly enough, after this, the disciples had just heard about these two men who lacked humility, they're not showing any humility at all. Step aside, Jesus, I have this. You've equipped me for the last three years, and I'm ready to fight this fight. Get these babies out of here. See? See what a great job I did? So Jesus makes it clear that the residents of the kingdom will exhibit humility. And he also knows that, that exhibiting that humility is a lot harder than it sounds. And it takes time to develop. It doesn't come upon us readily or easily. So he does this. While the disciples are standing there, he calls the babies back. Verse 16, but Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me. Now, watch what happens here because the word changes. We go from blephos to paideia. And now we're talking about not infant babies that are helpless, but babies that are a little bit older. Uh, now he's talking about a little bit more maturity. And when he does this, he moves a reference from newborn infant to, to the child who's a little older, and he says this, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, there's a couple of revelations that we need to see in this. You thought these were simple verses, didn't you? Okay, but, but look what Jesus is showing us. He makes it clear, number one, that little children are members of the kingdom. Oh, wait a minute. I thought this and I thought that. Well, well, he says that little children are members of the kingdom. Now, we, we could talk a long time about this. How you come into the kingdom. What happens to little children as they grow. But Jesus wants to make it clear right here that little children are members of the kingdom. They fall under God's grace and provision. The other revelation we should see is this. Unlike the judge, unlike the Pharisee who lacked humility and possess tremendous pride and are arrogant. Citizens of God's kingdom are humble. 
They're trusting. They're dependent upon God. They're faithful like these little ones. He's saying, they're a picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. And then Jesus gives them this incredible summary. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he rolls a ton of teaching into a simple phrase. After receiving the children, Jesus says, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God in the manner that these children receive it, the way they receive it, coming to me for just to be near me, just to be touched, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom in that manner will not be part of the kingdom. Huh. Now, here's the application that Jesus gives to his lessons on the judge and the Pharisee. They don't come humbly. They're not only self-centered, but they're totally self-sufficient. They don't really need God. The judge has no regard for God, no regard for the people around him, has no regard really for anyone but himself. The Pharisee trusts only himself, and he treated others, even God. When you talk about others, he's talking about everybody. He treated God with contempt. Now, I, I don't think the Pharisee was walking around going, I really hate God. But he treated God with contempt by being arrogant and self-centered, self-sustaining. His heart might not have said, I really don't need God, but his actions were saying it. But the babies, the little children, they come with total trust, with no expectations, with no demands, with no preconceptions. They just want to be near Jesus simply because because of who he is, not what he can do for them. They have no idea whether or not he can do anything for them or not. They just want to be touched. They want to feel his presence. So we should see in this that the righteous children are not righteous because of what they do or maybe what they will do. They're righteous because they possess total, true humility, and it's exactly what Jesus expects from you and me. So here we have these three examples of living in the kingdom. We got the, the, the unrighteous judge, granted mercy and justice, not from integrity, but from being self-serving and from lacking humility. We have the, the self-righteous Pharisee, thinks he's always right, thinks he's the top of the heap, compares himself to others and comes out pretty, looking pretty good to him. Wants to remind God of all he does for him and hates others, loves himself and lacks humility. And then we have these righteous children. They're using, they're, they're, they're coming, they're trusting, they're patient, they're dependent, they're, they're humble. All things that we should be as followers of Christ. But, but that humility, that humility doesn't come easy. We, we have it when we're young. You know, we had a moment with my grandson, and we had to send him to his room. You know how devastating this can be to somebody that thinks that's punishment? These days, maybe that's not so much punishment. But he came out of his room, and, you know, he comes out the door after his time, and he walked over and grabbed my leg, he said, Grandpa, would you like to play Legos? <laughs> just total humility. Just, okay, I've spent my time in my room. 
Now I'd like to be touched by you. Now I'd like to have a relationship with you. Where do we lose that? Where does it go? It's really hard to get it back. Let me tell you how hard it is to get back. The whole time I've been preaching this, haven't you been thinking, that rotten judge, (laughs) that terrible Pharisee, thank you God for not making me like that Pharisee. And we slip into a lack of humility. Well, we don't want to be like the Pharisee, John. No, we don't. But we want to be humble as we express what God has done for us. See, this is why Jesus starts these parables out with this phrase. You should always pray and not lose heart. So, and we hear, you should always pray for the things you want and hold on to hope. But we need to also be praying that God will show us humility. That we will reach out and grasp it. That we will embrace it. And see, in order to live in that fashion, we have to be constantly conscious of the fact that God is with us. We do have this incredible promise that we can embrace, that we can look forward to. But meanwhile, we have to live here on this earth. And if we're going to be his representatives, if we're going to be the messengers of his love, then we're going to have to express humility. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but i got to work on that. Because it goes away so fast. Particularly when I watch news. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you for these incredible lessons. We thank you for the lesson that your son taught us as he allowed sinners to nail him to the cross. As he watched his people, his chosen people, turn their back on him and cry, crucify him. And humbly, he carried the cross through Jerusalem and then laid down on it and let them hoist him up for an incredibly painful crucifixion. Oh, let that be our example. Let us be the ones that other Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, teach us humility. Oh, it's a dangerous prayer we know, Father. But we want to be closer to you. We want to have that infinite trust and dependence upon you. So we ask you today, Father, teach us humility. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.